0: Welcome to the Science of Fiction with me, Will Thompson, and today I'm joined by Andy Halding. Hello there. And this is our last show of 2012. Woo! Either woo or oh. I'm not sure which. Uh, It's it's been a good year. Um, But so today, to give us a kind of nightcap of the year, we're going to be talking about uh, poisons and intoxicants and other things.
1: Legal, outlawed, real, fantastical. Send in all your all your experiences, and uh, we'll pass them on to the local authority for you. Yeah, you, you, for for a change, you might
0: want to not leave your name if you're writing in on certain topics today. Um, yeah, we'll be we'll, we'll be talking about um, some some poisons and some cures, and also some things which are both for some reason. <laughs> that was of course uh, Poison by Alice Cooper
1: an amazing song uh, and one I discovered which is from his 18th studio album which is quite worrying because he obviously got into the 80s quite well I mean that was like, 87 but he how, did he do his albums in the 80s or uh,
0: I, either that or he was ex- an extremely prolific musician from a very early age there must have been several a year
1: was it was he called Alice at a young age um, good question as far as I'm aware he picked that name because he picked a, he tried to pick a name that old women would think was really cute and lovely
0: Oh. And then, uh, and then... And then and then to, to trick them into listening to his music?
1: Yeah, and terrify them or something.
0: Which seems like a really great way to win fans.
1: Well, I don't know. It worked for him.
0: I guess that's true. So, um, a, a few weeks ago, um, on the show with Michael Conterio, um we, we played the theme to Casino Royale and everyone was shocked that I hadn't seen it. So I have seen it now. Uh, and it, it seems like a, a pretty good film. I'm... I'm I'm, I'm a fan. This is this is a sequence where um, Daniel, Daniel Craig's Bond gets poisoned, and his cure for his poison seems to be that he takes a shot of salt water, and then gives himself an injection, waits for his heart to stop, and then restarts it.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's the obvious way to do it. I will say one thing: Have you ever noticed how whenever you pick up a pack of medicine, it says what to do if you overdose on it? It says do not induce vomiting. I had noticed that. Yeah. Why? He, I I don't know. I I don't know. Vomiting is quite bad for you, actually. It's not a great thing, uh, but I've always been surprised that they say keep something in your stomach when it's going to kill you.
0: I, I mean, I, su- I suppose it could be could be because uh, if it's already in, like, if you've already ingested it and in it's already in your bloodstream, then uh, if you make yourself throw up, then you're just po-
1: poisoned and vomiting. But they will pump stomach pump you when you get to hospital. Hmm. I have no idea. I've no medics send in. Pretend medics send in. We won't know the difference, especially if you don't give us any contact details. But I, I think the idea is sensible. You get it out your stomach. Uh, I'd, oh, for some reason, that isn't the standard device for non-secret agents. The um, injecting himself with an antidote—that was ridiculous. Because didn't he have a Bluetooth attachment that went for every all his chemistry in his body and told him what he'd been poisoned with as well?
0: Yeah, there was, there, 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 he was. He had a chip in his arm from early on in the movie. Um, which yeah, seemed to be able to do everything. Yeah, which G- it was GPS and blood analysis kits, and of course it was, li- of course it was linked to London via magic.
1: Magic. I, I mean that that's the other thing is if you want to try and find out someone's poisoned with, it's actually really really difficult. Um, the famous example of a Russian spy who got basically an umbrella shot of bull bearing with a poison to the back of his leg, and then he later died. Uh, they never knew exactly what happened. We still don't know if that's actually what happened. Uh, but the way they checked the he was killed with the poison they thought he was was they then got the poison and gave it to a pig and the pig died the same way and it was a very rare poison
0: oh so, so, so they, they, they had a guess as to what the poison might be
1: yeah well they we knew the symptoms they knew right. what happened to them and, that, and of course they knew it could be something quite because it was a Russian defector they knew they had this sort of more open option for what it could be where if it's a housewife uh, if we go well certainly if we go back to when arsenic was far, far more available they regularly would kill their husbands by lacing the food with arsenic
0: oh for those days
1: oh for those days when, when and that do you know what caused that to be a problem I don't life insurance oh I see so because they could get money out of it that was when arsenic poisons went through the roof
0: and so, th- and the solution was rather than banning uh, life insurance to ban arsenic.
1: Well, we controlled arsenic, right? But which, but which, which, which is the right
0: the right answer. I, I can't suppose.
1: remember what you actually used it for. It was probably something still stupid. Um, so again, if you know that, I'll, I'll Google it in the break. But this is quite interesting because this is the idea of poison is obviously quite old, and you know, lots of cultures have them. And curare, uh, as uh, that's how I pronounce it, is this It's well known as a poison, and it's well known because I think it's used on basically in a lot of cultures on arrows and things like that, and it there was a gentleman called uh sir benjamin brodie who basically uh wanted to see what happened if um he killed them he realized that if he gave his poison to someone it didn't actually kill the animal it actually kept them it just stopped them from breathing
0: which typically would kill someone
1: which would kill someone but then what so i don't know if he ever did this experiment brodie but uh charles waterton he went on and he actually did the experiment and he basically uh gave the poison to a donkey a female donkey and then did a track trachoscomy so cut open the neck and i think it was using a pair of bellows i mean it's said artificial respiration normally it was quoted but they certainly didn't have what we have today and kept pumping air into the lungs and then afterwards the um donkey got off and was fine because i mean apart from the cut the cut in his neck yeah but that had been that had been done surgically right okay no they probably then killed it and ate it but um the point was that it showed the first time that uh curare wasn't how it killed it it stopped some muscles but didn't stop the heart and that was what was really important so as long as you get air into the lungs it would keep you alive
0: so, so this, this solves the problem of if you well again if you know what it is that's, that's that if you know that they've had this poison and so it's only their lungs that aren't working
1: yeah, then and you,
0: you have a, you have a shot at treating it.
1: And then, of course, later on, people eventually discovered which plant it came from because originally this was just bought and imported. Uh, but what's really really cool about this is this this poison. Someone realised that when someone was having strychnine poisoning, uh, which causes you to convulse and die that way, but someone had the idea: well, if curare does the opposite, what happens if you treat one thing with the opposite? And what it was shown was that you can save strychnine poisoning by using curare to cu- counteract it. So, one poison can be the cure for another poison. Huh. It's not always the case, you know. Yeah,
0: if, if you take arsenic, don't also take polonium,
1: yeah. for example. Uh, who knows? No, no, it won't work. Um, but it's, it's quite cool, and this, this, keeps, this kept happening over and over again with different things. Um, so, um, another one is Belladonna, Deadly Nightshade, has a chem- compound in it called atrophine. And uh, this has loads of new uses today, so if you watch medical dramas, you'll see they give it to people when they're having bradycardia, which is when the heart rate's low, and they use it to bring the person, help bring the person back. The other one is, if you go to the optician, they use it to dilate your pupils to look in your eyes.
0: Uh, to, to, to just drop it in? You drop
1: it in, your eyes get... And, and apparently, I don't know how true this is, but the sort of old wives' tale is that um, if you were in Italy in the Renaissance, you would drop it into your eyes to make your eyes look prettier.
0: And, and and of course, in, in present times, people use Botox for the same for the same uh, yeah. kind kind of cosmetic applications of a poison.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's Botox is one of the most it comes from botulinum toxin, and botulinum toxin is, I believe, the most toxic per gram biological compound known to man. But it has it has good uses as well. So Botox, uh, people think about f- fashion, but actually, if you've got cerebral palsy, it's really good for treatment of that because cerebral palsy people obviously have have too much muscle movement, and they can calm it all down using the same thing. Uh, it can be used for people suffering from MS to control things. It can be used uh, for people with sweaty palms. It might sound ridiculous, but if you're very very sweaty, Botox can kill the nerves to cut down the sweating.
0: Huh? And I, and give you really beautiful line-free hands as well. We assume.
1: Yeah.
0: Wine by the National.
1: So, someone wrote in during the break that um, arsenic was used in Victorian times to improve a woman's complexion, which, of course, back then was to make them paler, so it didn't look like they'd been working in the fields. Uh, uh,
0: and unfortunately, there are still there are still uh, cosmetics around the world which are used to lighten people's skin.
1: Yes, bleachers though. Now, going go horribly wrong. Don't do it. Uh, so, yeah, that song, "All the Wine." Um, w- the reason we're going there is because we we're going now to talk about wine. Um, Basically, the French wine industry had a massive, massive problem uh, a while ago, quite a long while ago, and uh, this is where Pasteur came in, so most of you probably heard of Pasteur, or at least have heard of pasteurisation, and he basically was brought in to try and work out why wine was going off all over the country, and what he came up with was this way of proving his idea that there was things growing in the wine, uh, so bacteria, and he made a thing called a swan-necked flask. And these were these flasks where he took the neck of the flask and stretched it in an S-shape. And that meant things couldn't fall into it. And he did one where he didn't pa- pasteurise it more one where he did it, and the one which was pasteurised didn't go off. And then he just snapped the neck off, and then the one which hadn't been pasteurised then went off. Oh, huh.
0: As, as, as a good way to prove, by being by people could see that nothing could get into it.
1: Yeah, and this was really important, because this is how he sort of invented the idea, well, disproved the idea of spontaneous creation of life. Because... You know, until then, people didn't know where these things came from. They just turned up,
0: and and pe- people thought that, that that life was just appearing within um, w- within whatever thing was w- was yeah. going off, um, rather than suspecting that things were falling in through the lid.
1: Yes, because I mean, m- nothing really ever. You know, it's very hard to make things sterile, especially when you don't have a concept of microorganisms. And it's then got this lovely fact that he then showed that you could make something sterile, and then it wouldn't go off. And you know that that concept has been used now. Everywhere and in different ways, you know that idea has led on to all of the medical practices we now do.
0: Before we go to we get into medicine, I've, I've just realised that um, in 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 some in, in some uh, spontaneously fermented beers in Belgium, um, actually things falling into the, to the into the, the um, brew is required. That you, you you make a vessel of um, of uh, I forget what the term is for the the, the unfermented mulch. And then you just kind of leave it outside in the forest for a while, and in an area where the right kind of yeasts happen to live.
1: Well, some of it's just on the um, surface of the plant you're mulching. Right. So if you're making cider, 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 you don't have to add yeast, and it's on the surface. The one I love is, and I don't know how true this story is, but I want to believe it is Cornish grumpy is made with um, often with ham. Huh. And, I, I mean, as I say, this is, could just be an old wives' tale, but it's, it's a very loose one, so I'm going to tell it, and someone can write in if it's wrong. <laughs> um, and what apparently happened was some guy was making some cider, and a dog died in the cider being made, but then, having they only found that after drinking half of it, and it tasted really good, so from then on, instead of killing the dog, they threw in a side of ham.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess killing a dog each time would get expensive. But, but that's similar to how... Um, uh, tofu used to be made um because so tofu is so you used to drown dogs um not quite um so yeah tofu is just is fermented um so, uh, soybeans um and y- they would originally make it by, by taking some some rotting meat and kind of rubbing it around the inside of the fermenting vessel to spread some some bacteria around and then pour in the the, the, this, the soy liquid and then this, this would start to ferment because of the bacteria that come from the rotting meat Although, fortunately for any uh, vegetarians who eat, soy, uh, who eat tofu now it's been replaced long, longer
1: oh, uh, just jumping wildly but a good point to do uh, I've just found out why you don't induce vomiting uh, and it's actually really obvious when you if you think back to first aid if you've done it uh, the problem is if you breathe in vomit it can have really dire consequences so I actually happened to a friend of mine he had a fit and he got vomit in his lungs and they don't know it's in there, and then that can start growing, and then that can cause massive, massive problems later on. So actually, it's the fact that vomiting, asparagus sort of breathed in vomit, is incredibly poisonous itself. Uh, but very, s- it's a slow thing. And and, and presumably,
0: when you've already e- when you've eaten poison, there'll be poison in the vomit as well. And so, and so on top of just having, of it, on top of just, just inhaling vomit, you'll be inhaling poisoned vomit.
1: I think it's more just the fact you're putting stuff, that things like non-sterile media into your lungs to grow right, on. Right. I think it's the long-term risk. I think the poisons are secondary because they'll sort out the poison with time um so we're going to move on to that and i mean this is a very sort of jumping around tale but uh, i th- this is all sort of more sort of curiosities than a sort of full history and what i really like is one of the well the first drug uh, sort of antibiotic drug was actually a dye
0: oh a, a dye as in a, a cl- uh, for, for, for dyeing fabric
1: yeah so the german dye industry which was this massive massive thing at, Um, was pumping out all these compounds and they were getting it from tar and people thought that there must be other uses for these compounds so what they did was they tried again and again and again and eventually they found, after loads of them didn't work that one of these dyes would uh, actually be an antibiotic and it was the first sort of antibiotic, it was before penicillin, before all that Uh, it was called a sulfur drug, Uh, they're still in use today but what I find really cool about this as a chemist is if you talk to chemists about drugs what we'll tell you is 90% of them, and it's pretty more than that actually, most of them come from natural products. So products are made by nature. We then do stuff to them. But the point is, things that have an, an origin in nature are then used in drugs. So penicillin, as you most of you probably know, discovered by Fleming, is made by mould. Am I right in
0: thinking that, the, that that's the, the pe- it was an accident again?
1: Yeah, so... the So, yeah, so sulphur drugs were clearly designed, and then since then... Fleming then did this apparent thing where he didn't wash up his lab equipment, then something fell down from the floor above, and he saw on his petri dishes where he was growing bacteria, wherever the spores, the penicillin spores, had landed, that around them there was an area where the bacteria wouldn't grow. And he realised this was an inhibition. Uh, and he then, him and, I mean, it took several processes and eventually had to go to America to get to the levels, but there was his work to develop the most. Effective penicillin maker finds have so the best version because there are lots of different penicillins, sim- similar molecules but with slight differences. From from slightly different molds, I guess. Uh, they basically swapped everything everywhere, right. uh, and eventually found it. And it could it could have actually gone nowhere, but it was it have just luckily was picked up by the right people with the right foresight to get it working. But what I, there's a there's a great story about penicillin as well, which was there was a police officer, and the legend goes, and everyone knows that he cut his finger whilst gardening, or you know got hurt in a police incident. Uh, and that that bit seems to be lost in history. Uh, I mean, it's totally possible. We're talking about an era where, you know, this is early 20th century, where if you cut your finger, because there were no antibiotics, if it got infected, you could die. Which I think, as someone today, is quite hard to appreciate. Right. Gardening is an extreme sport. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: whereas, whereas today, um, things like uh, tetanus and rabies are not some of the only things which where getting a cut could possibly do more than just give you a bit, uh, some, some pain, maybe some bleeding, and then a scab for a while.
1: Yeah. Uh, and if you do... I mean, even if you get... There are treatments now for these sort of things. That's what's that's what's incredible. Um, but, yeah, so he ended up in hospital. And we, that bit we do know. And uh, then the lab in Oxford, who were researching on penicillin, tried their drug on him because he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And there's this ba- great thing, and they just basically pumped him full of his drug. And it was so valuable at the time, they just couldn't make enough that they were literally collecting his urine <laughs> taking it back to the lab getting the pellets and out of feeding it back to him because they just didn't have enough and they, mm. there was this dramatic recovery by him sadly whilst he made massive improvement they then ran out and then he crashed and then uh, sadly the sad end of the story is that he died
0: but 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 it verified that um this the, the, this this newly discovered compound could actually um re- re- dramatically reverse the his his symptoms and infection
1: yep and then this is where they're saying the u.s came in they needed the ability to grow enough of the mold and find the mold which produced the right drug for strength and the right yield um the, then they could start making large batches and then of course they tried to get it out during the world world war ii i think oh ah dates um <laughs> anyway they got out during whichever world war was going on at the time and um they did get you know it did have a massive effect it saved many many lives so it was a really really big deal
0: and a a, a really massive um knock-on effect from an accidental discovery
1: yes i mean this is the thing and but it with all i think with a lot of science how you get there isn't important It's, it's noticing that you are going the right way so there are people working on great projects now i'm sure and some of them they won't know where they're going right and if you can see that that thing's amazing and The other one, the colliery, is probably all all the phage stuff. And if you don't know, phages are viruses that attack bacteria. Hmm. And so when people get worried now, we're at a point that obviously the use of antibiotics made bacteria resistant. Well, they were already resistant, but made them more resistant to them. And we might run out of antibiotics because it's a problem. It is a genuine problem. Uh, Phages are sort of an old idea that haven't really been used. And a phage can target just bacteria. So you infect the virus into the person, and it will kill that bacteria. (laughs) But there are difficulties in trying to get enough into the person, trying to get it. Because obviously, if you're doing a petri dish, you've just got the bacteria. There's right. a lot of you in the way of the game of virus
0: there. And some bits of you the virus might turn out to like after all. As yes.
1: Well. Uh, Bio warfare is always a very, very terrifying prospect. But, you know, it, it's not too. There are also similarities to gene therapy, which again, using viral delivery systems. So we, we have. We have research going on, and maybe something will come out of it. I don't know yet.
0: Yeah. When, when you mentioned earlier um, how all these, these various cures keep, are kind of discovered by accident in nature, it reminded me of um, a sequence from the uh, the novel K-Pax, which was made into a film starring Kevy Spacey as oh, a kind, yeah. of, kind of creepy alien. I've um, seen the movie. It's good. Um, it is a good movie. The books the books are also pretty good. Um, but at, at one point, um, Proats, who is this um, either... Um, um, he, he's an inmate in an asylum who claims to be an alien and it's never quite made clear whether he actually is an alien or not. But one of the, one of his revelations is that for every disease um, which affects humans, there is a cure which is a plant somewhere um, which is kind of a, 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 a... if only you could find it. He won't tell people where they are but, but he does say that, that you need to just try all the plants because some of the plants cure some of the diseases and all the plants... Well, all of the diseases have a corresponding plant, which is a seductive idea although...
1: Well- most of our cues come from natural products as I was saying, and and it's something I go into, not a heated t- b- argument, but you know in a, we were definitely differing on opinion, someone who was working in the field of combinatorial chemistry misses the idea of making as many compounds as you can for your library, and you then try them all against an enzyme, and often it's actually now done inside a computer, but you need the library of actual drugs right. and I said, I just, I just haven't seen it being successful, because nature has got such a diverse range of compounds, that you just can't get that of these libraries. They just don't f- cover the same thing which I call chemical space. as uh, sort of terms. to I mean the diversity of the molecule. And, and the counter-argument from, from the other gentleman involved in the discussion was, well, we've got a massive chemical space, but he just meant number of compounds. But to me, they're too similar.
0: Yeah, but th- I suppose the flip side of this is it's not very satisfactory to say, well, we have all of these compounds, which we think might do something sometime... Um, but we're not going to try them all. We're just going to, you know, is it just going to be chance. Someone will happen to stumble upon, one of them happens to fall into someone's mouth while they're ill or something. Well,
1: no, but natural products you, you put in your computational screen as well. Mm, okay. What we say is, do you go and make someone make libraries of, of various of, compounds? Of very, very similar co-
0: compounds, yeah. or, would, or do you get a broad spread of very different compounds?
1: Yeah, do you go down to caves and find stuff? And, you know... There are people who literally their job is to climb down a caves where no person's ever been before, swab the walls for bacteria, take them back to the lab to see what they make, and they'll find something that makes 14 different penicillins which have never been seen before.
0: Which I guess is is pretty good if you're in a world where more and more bacteria are penicillin
1: resistant. More terrifyingly, of course, you also find bacteria resistant to all those penicillins down there as well.
0: Mm, Because
1: there's a war going on down there. But it is really, really cool stuff. And I guess that that would really be
0: the the ideal job for a, a chemist who's also really fond of caving. Yes. So that was She's My Heroine by Skunk and Nancy.
1: Which was not about heroin. It's just it's, it's got an E on the end. It's just got an E. Um, so, yes, so heroin is, um, if we jump back a bit, comes from a, soft, is a chemical modification of a family of compounds called alkaloids. And I, I try to find out what the definition of an alkaloid was, and it seems to be that the thing in my head that I can't put into words is what everyone else thinks it is. Uh, basically, they're things that you can extract from plants, and the way you extract them is you switch between acid and base, and that's where the alkaloid, the alkaline bit, allows you to switch them between water, dissolving in water and dissolving in oil. So as you okay. flip it back and forth, you basically grind up your plant, you then acidify it, you then extract into an organic compound, so an oil, you then wash that against a base and it pulls it back out again. And you do that and you get these compounds called alkaloids.
0: So this is basically repeatedly filtering, out, filtering things out?
1: Yes, but it, it's not like filtering, it's actually using chemical property. Okay, so, if yeah. you take a really good sort of simplify a bit, if you have ethanoic acid vinegar, mm-hmm. and vinegar will react with um, sodium to form the salt, uh, sodium acetate, which is the solid that people will put on salt and vinegar crisps, because it has the sodium which makes you have a salt taste and it has the acetate which gives you vinegar taste. Right. The thing is, that is now made of an acetate which is negatively charged and a sodium that's positively charged. That dissolves in water. But the acid uh, does dissolve in water, because that's where you get vinegar, but it's happier in organic, because it doesn't have this charge distribution in the same way. Uh, okay. So you can... But you can. that's a very reversible reaction, so you can switch it back by changing how ac- basic, so alkaline or as acid, your solution is. Huh. It's, it's a trick you use all the time in chemical synthesis, that when you want to pull something out for something else, if you have an acid group like that, you can just switch it back and forth. In the case of alkaloids, it's often actually nitrogen groups, because that's what nature's sort of gone for but different things different ways
0: and if and if you are doctor who you can um, suck the weird blue ghosts out of people by flooding the house with uh with uh, methane
1: yes really oh i remember that one that's where the person who then turns up and talks with comes from
0: it is well same actress and uh, alluded to be the same person alluded um but of course, so 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 of course. Anyway, this 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 alkaloid takes us.
1: So I guess. So yeah. So alkaloids um, are produced quite often by plants, and they're so sort of, they might be making them poisonous or sort of to protect themselves from animals. Plants don't like their leaves being eaten. Uh, Who they, does? I I hate my leaves being eaten, um, and they also have a bitter taste. So they're things that you wouldn't normally choose to eat. And uh, there's a really horrific example of uh, one. Uh, there's an alkaloid in Corn Lily and during the 1950s um, 25% of lambs born and grazed on this Corn Lily uh, suffered really horrible fa- facial defects mm. and we, we genuinely mean they look, so there's a picture of one on Wikipedia it's a cyclops, it's face is so deformed that it's only got one eye in the centre of its head uh, wow. and it's Cyclopia is the name of obviously after the idea of cyclops uh, and it took them a while to find out what was causing it it was in the 1980s they discovered that it was this alkaloid um which is now called cyclopamine, um, which causes defect. And, and, and it happened
0: to be in, the, in in their food?
1: It happened to be in the fields they were grazing. So huh. do, don't eat that. Uh, not. If I, mean, I, think, I think don't eat
0: some leaves that you found in a field is probably a wise rule to live by.
1: Sheep aren't good at it, apparently. But what's, so what I'm saying when we started here with uh, heroin is heroin comes from opium. And opium, obviously, the opium poppies. It's got a few places where it comes from. Uh, the guy who discovered the actual alkaloid that did it—he extracted the first ever alkaloid, and that was morphine. And he extracted it from opium using these sort of techniques.
0: And, and of, co- of course, morphine named after Morpheus, the god of sleep. Further to the na- naming things after obvious. um yeah. I actually think figures.
1: I couldn't find this when doing the show notes. I think it was originally called morphium, oh. and it later got came morphine when they um, brought every, all the alkaloids originally. In they, they've diverged again, but they tried to make all of them have the same ending. Uh, But, that I I couldn't find that thing. But yeah, you get the opium poppy, and you you can get this resin from it. And but when he extracted this thing, eventually got he basically found uh, morphine was ten times stronger than opium because he's got the active compound. He also found that if you gave the opium he'd extracted it from to animals, they didn't nothing happened, which was kind of cool, but kind of rubbish if animals want to get high, I suppose.
0: But if they if they want feed, then perfect. And then, of course, uh, the heroin um, came as an attempt to make a, um, a less uh, addictive um, form of morphine, which, as we, as we, as we all know from watching um, The Wire and Requiem for a Dream, uh, it w- didn't actually work out that well.
1: Yeah, it's quite addictive. Um, no, nobody ever injects it though, obviously. Um, actually, that's an interesting thing because I was talking about solubility between acid and bases. So, when they convert morphine to heroin, what they do is there are some hydroxyl groups, OH groups, the um, same thing that makes it alcohol and alcohol, and they react it and make acetylate them. And acetylates are like the fattier things. So, it likes to go fat more than it does into water, and that means you have to inject it because you can't get it to dissolve into water. Oh. So that that's why it's injected more often. I mean, there are I'm sure drug experts who have taken many a drug. With I mean, there's lots of ways you can take heroin. There,
0: there, 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 there are spoons sometimes. I think. Oh, no, no, that's that, that's involved in the injection. I think. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you
1: heat it up on a spoon. And you inject. I right. learned that from Pulp Fiction. Right. Because he's he's out of date for taking heroin because it's not classy anymore.
0: Yeah. Whereas, of course, the, the, the Wire being set slightly further in the past. Although, of course, the funny thing in The Wire is that it's kind of the, the, the cops versus dealers. And the dealers are basically all clean. And the cops are all, without exception, raging alcoholics, um, which I guess is some kind of continuous social, social commentary.
1: So-, so one thing which we, we actually only found out five minutes ago, according to the Imperial College London's website, is that uh, meth- methadone, so this non-addictive opioid, uh, was originally named Dolphin after Adolf Hitler to honour him to honour him oh does anyone has anyone ever heard of that before if it's a historian do let us know that that's quite bizarre but well they obviously renamed it since
0: uh, presumably the war ended and it was considered no longer a, g- a good name yes let's
1: not, let's not let's not name our things after uh, genocidal maniacs
0: that was Rush Minute um, by Massive Attack um, which I, I I was really in two minds as, as to whether this, whether we should at some point during this set play uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds uh, but I think that was pr- probably a bit too obvious for this show and, and, and plus I like that song more
1: and I said if we're going to do that we need to play a Shatner version <laughs> well I'm
0: not sure that's a, that, that's a negative
1: <laughs> it, it depends if you like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds that song never recovered after. actually no song has ever recovered after Shatner's covered it
0: do you have presumably you have graphs to prove this uh,
1: d- yes we have data
0: Unfo- unfortunately this is an audio only show and we can't show you the graphs so you'll just have to, be- you'll yes. just have to believe us yes um. so um, there's, there's there's one one class of uh, intoxicants we have we have we
1: haven't well, co- several we haven't covered but um, yeah there are many
0: one, one of them is a, a hallucinogens of course which uh, you know one, wonderful things to um, explore the mind and whatever else you can do so um, which made me think of this uh, novel by Jeff Noon uh, called Vert, which is uh, set in in an unspecified time in Manchester, um, where they have these feathers which they kind of ingest or kind of—it's never quite clear what they do, other than they kind of eat them a bit. Uh, and then they and, and th- th- there are various different colours of feather, and they act- and this is like Mario. Yeah, it's. Actually, it's surprisingly similar to Mario. There, there, are weird, weird kind of blobby creatures. Yeah, um, more drugs in uh, um, Jeff Noon's world, I think. But um, these feathers um, don't just make you hallucinate; they literally take you to a different world uh, called the Vert. That's the name V-U-R-T. URT. Um, and you know, depending on the color, you go to you know more or less crazy worlds. And the protagonist ends up. He takes a, a very rare feather called Curious Yellow and accidentally loses his sister in a. In a, in a strange world and exchanges her for a weird alien blob
1: yeah
0: uh, which um, that's
1: always bad it's always hard to explain to your parents i'm sorry uh my sister she, yeah she's um she's now a strange alien blob yep uh, um, I, I i i i guess
0: the it's, it's always left quite ambiguous as to uh how much of the book really happens and how much of it doesn't um you know it's
1: but Jeff Noon doesn't like you understanding his books. No, he doesn't.
0: I think his his, his best works are um, the ones which which make very little sense. And he there's a sequel to Vert called Pollen, which is a much more um, kind of much more prosaic in style. It, it reads much more like you know there, you know there is a narrator and they tell you what's going on, as opposed to Vert, which is very f- fragmentary and it's really hard to understand what's
1: happening. So the book, only Jeff Noon book I've read is Falling Out of Cars, which I actually quite enjoyed, but I would never recommend to anyone because it was so mad it's it's basically in a world that's again it it falls into this sort of mad psychedelic world that's falling apart and there's a lot of discussion about signal to noise so basically the amount of information you get can get and most of the universe is sort of unraveling and going to noise and there's this drug called lucidity which you have to take to stay aware of what's going on and it's it's creative it's bonkers it's but it goes nowhere. It's a road trip of nothingness, and and he doesn't care. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not about that. You get what you read, and what you read is is very strange. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, I, I guess if we, we, we we
0: not quite the same as Alice Cooper quite like, well, but here. But in the long line of authors writing their own um, books in the Alice world, he has a uh, an, an, an Alice uh, what's it called? automated Alice where he ends up where, where Alice goes to the future. Again, Manchester in the future. Although I think he lives in Brighton now. Um, I guess guess he wrote wrote enough about uh, Manchester, and that also makes no sense. But that's okay, because um, nor nor did Alice in Wonderland. um,
1: Yeah, I mean, Alice in Wonderland's quite psychedelic in its own ways. Um, But yeah, so if if you want to read something very different, you want to read someone who's almost sort of writing anti-fiction, Jeff Noon's the way to go. Um, But yeah, so these these psychedelic mind-altering drugs, the first example was discovered by... uh, gentleman called Albert Hoffman and there's a great there's a great story behind his discovery he was um he made some derivatised compounds and then sort of got bored of them and moved on and was remaking them a while later and got some on his hand and when he got some on his hand the really small amount made him feel quite weird uh, sort of strange effects on his body and he decided that the only way to sort of go on with this is to do what any good scientist in the era would do would be to um eat some of it and uh <laughs> Sure. Why not? So he took—he he, literally—he uh, got—he did get a lab colleague to watch over him, and he um, took some LSD. He took ten times more than what he was aiming for. He was aiming for a threshold dose, which is sort of this thing you aim for with drugs, where you don't want to have too many side effects, but you want to get the high. And uh, yeah, he—he he just totally got it wrong. He went ten times higher, and he actually claimed for the rest, rest of his life that was still a small dose. And uh, he then things happened. You know, the world started going to a very odd place and he um then decided to cycle home he again his lab mate cycled with him and it, he thought it took forever because his perception of time was totally distorted the world was a very strange place and when he got home they then realized something was going very wrong so they called in a doctor and and the doctor again you know couldn't actually find anything wrong with him uh, but albert hoffman was totally probably quite a doolally um and then he recovered, and this was the first example of a psychedelic drug—the thing that led to all of the psychedelia that came out of it. Uh, and you know, this guy kept taking LSD till he's 102. He he thought it was a re- he thought it was important. I mean, there's some several quotes of him saying what he thought LSD could do for the world. Yeah, and he he he,
0: he said he said um, there's there, there's no and. Yeah In human evolution It has never been as necessary To have LSD It is just a tool To turn us in, into What we're supposed to be And he's, he's far from the only person To have thought that um, Steve Jobs Who everyone knows who he is um, He said that taking LSD Was one of the most important things He'd ever done in his life
1: But he also said He only did it once uh, Presumably he also didn't inhale <laughs> Yeah Which seems to um, be the popular one Yeah um, but this is really interesting so um, a lot of effects of LSD I don't know I have never taken it I, I kind of want to after reading some of this though I know there are some really serious side effects so don't um, uh, it basically it causes a hyperconnectivity in the brain is how it, it sort of manifests itself so you get things like synesthesia which is the effect where sounds and sight and taste all muddle together and we, and we all have that to some extent as far as I'm concerned um, you know we all get S- memories flooding back would bring with them sensations but some people they're much more strongly connected and what's quite cool it's the other place this happens is in babies Huh? so I, I think this explains why if anyone's ever looked at a baby for longer than a few seconds you'll notice they look completely out of it staring at you with big eyes drooling uh, yeah I just think they're high <laughs> High, high on the, the, the high the, on life, and literally yeah, the, the,
0: the heady cocktail of life, and lots of things moving around that they don't understand at all.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing world for those little babies. Yeah, and I
0: guess, I guess so. I guess on the on the other side of the um, of the mind altering coin, there are there are the various um, drugs which which are intended to make to make you less. Um, Creative or uh, interested, or so on. There was um, for quite a, quite a few f- like films tackling this issue, including uh, Equili- *Equilibrium*, where yep. um, I- in the future um, everyone is forced to take this drug, which makes them really boring and obey orders, and so on and so on and so on. Um, which um, I suppose you could you could take as a, as a commentary on. Um, on the increasing, increasingly medicating people for things which didn't used to be diseases.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, the medicalisation is a really difficult topic. And, it, you know, we could do an entire show over it with someone who actually understood it far better than me. You know, because on one level it means you can treat people. You know, the medicalisation of mental illness, rather than saying they're just not cases, uh, is really been important because, you know, it is an illness. There is something wrong. It just doesn't have the physiological symptoms of losing a leg.
0: Right, but 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 I guess the, the the danger is that you en- that you end up constructing increasingly contrived um, diagnoses so that you can label things,
1: or you start precri- prescribing drugs for something which is just human nature. Right. But so, um, and where this line is is you know something that's massively under debate at the moment. I mean, things like depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, all these things are very well understood as be you know as definitely been symptomatic mental illnesses, but there are things which are harder to define. And I, I, I'm led to believe that quite a lot of the treatments
0: for, the, for for a lot of mental conditions actually don't work for the reasons they were thought to. Uh, so so suppo- supposedly, I think it was um Prozac which the mechanism by which it was thought to operate has been shown to be wrong.
1: So so I only you know it's from Ben Goldacre's blog, so Ben Goldacre who wrote Bad Science has actually just released Bad Pharmacy I believe, or... Bad Pharma. Pharma, that's it. Um, he uh, wrote a really nice piece on this where he basically said that prozac which is an ssri a serotonin re- selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so the idea is when your cells emit serotonin and you get happy it takes longer to reuptake it so you stay happier for longer uh, at least that's how it's explained to me and um by inhibiting it you're happy longer the only thing is serotonin uptake enhancers also treat depression as well
0: ah so 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 so, so this, is, this is the, the claim would have to be that either you have to that's too much or too little serotonin can cause, can, can, well, can cause mental illness.
1: Or they're working some other way. They were designed drugs. I mean, that's what's quite interesting about SSRIs. They're not a natural product. They were designed to inhibit that uh, target in the brain. Ben Goldacre, actually, and I, I, I'm trying to be very careful about what I say, but from the way I understood what he was saying, is that he actually thinks that a lot of these drugs are, bo- are basically placebo. Because mm. the SSRIs are very marginal in a lot of studies, and then what think bad farmer goes on to say is it goes to demonstrate that perhaps they're just not publishing results for these as i say, I, that's my interpretation of it i want to be very careful
0: and yeah laws being what they are yes and I, th- I think on that um on that note i think that's pretty much all we have time for this year which is which is which is quite sad bye bye and so th- th- thank you all for tuning in and we'll, we'll see you in the new year <laughs>